One woman, one horse, one goal. 48 states for domestic violence awareness. Hello and welcome to Have Horse Will Travel, the official podcast for the Centaur Ride. I'm Meredith Cherry and this is my co-host Apollo. Welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of Have Horse Will Travel. I will be continuing with Season 2 after a week break. And next season is all about Apollo. That's right. I know you're all his biggest fans, and so I have dedicated the entire second season to talking about Apollo. So I hope you'll join me for another exciting 14 episodes. But first, we have to do this one. So today's episode is about my ride plans going from here out. Also, today I will be joined by special guest Lisa of Willow Domestic Violence Center in Rochester, New York. My favorite domestic violence center in the whole country of the hundreds that I have visited so far. It is just the paradigm of domestic violence centers, and I'm so excited to have her on the show to talk with you about what they're doing and why they are so awesome. For the most complete of details about where I've been so far and where I have left to go, You should definitely check out the page on my website that is titled Ride, Route, and Schedule, where I have listed out each state, when I was there or when I planned to be there, and so forth, as well as a map. However, the schedule on there as far as where I still have left to go is wrong, because I have no idea when I'll actually be getting anywhere anyway, because it's all a very flexible and ever-changing thing. When 2020 started, my plan was to begin riding in May and ride until October, as usual, and then continue the ride in early 2021 and finish by summer of 2021. Coronavirus has definitely affected this. I did not begin in May as planned. I do not know when I will be resuming the ride, but I will still be doing the remaining part of the route at some point. I just don't know exactly how the delay is going to affect the overall schedule. So for the most frequent current updates, It's best to follow my Facebook page where I post these kinds of things and also check out that ride route and schedule on my website, which I will try to keep updated once I actually have a plan. But even then, when I post it, it's always wrong. So take that with a grain of salt. Up until this point, I have ridden through 31 states and over 8,200 miles. I began on January 1st, 2017 in Northern California in the mountains outside of Sacramento and have ridden up the West Coast 
all the western and southwestern states, through all those mountains, and I've ridden across the plains, and all of the midwestern states, and a lot of the northeast. Last fall, in October of 2019, I reached New Hampshire, the 31st state of this ride, and that's where I stopped for the winter, and Apollo has been staying in a nice little barn in New Hampshire waiting to continue. And so that is where we've been so far. Where we're going from there is down the east coast, first to Maine, and then the rest of New England that we haven't visited yet, which would be in this order, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, around New York City, New Jersey, and then south along the coast from there to hit all of the coastal states. We won't necessarily be right along the ocean, but we will be in the states that border the ocean. So probably a little bit inland. The exact route through each state has not been decided yet. I will decide that as I go, depending on many factors. But the states I do plan on doing in the order of just going along the coast, down to Florida, and then going east through Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. And then I will turn north for Arkansas and Tennessee, and that is where I will end. But that will probably be in 2021 when I end the ride. And then at that point, I finally get to bring Apollo home. I come home in the winters to see my family and an occasional other few times I've come home for a break in the middle of the riding season. But Apollo has not been home since we started. And so at the end of the ride, he will finally get to come home. And no, I will not be riding him home At that point, we will have probably finished around 12,000 miles. I believe on my website it says 10,000 mile ride, but it'll definitely be more than 10,000. I think it'll be around 12, 48 states, obviously, and we will not be riding from Tennessee to California because that many miles is plenty of miles, and we will have both earned a good rest at that point. And also, no, I don't know what Apollo's next adventure will be once he's no longer doing this journey. There are plenty of things I think we would both enjoy that we'll try out, but I don't actually have a plan. So that is the plan from here on out. Of course, we have many, many miles left to go before we get to that point probably another 4,000 or so. And there are many, many things that I'm looking forward to on our route down the East Coast and in the South. And this section is actually the part of the ride that I've really been looking forward to since I started. I have visited most of these states that I have left at some point in my life, not on a horse, 
but I just really enjoy visiting the East Coast. It's quite different from the North part to the South part, as you might expect. You know, Maine is a lot different from Florida, obviously. And so in that range of geography, there's so many different kinds of things to see. There, I'm sure, will be all sorts of good food of different kinds. I still haven't had a lobster roll. And so obviously, when I'm in Maine or Massachusetts, I need to have a lobster roll. And of course, southern food is, I would say one of my favorite things, but you're probably all tired of hearing me say that foods are my favorite things because food is just my favorite thing. But I do really enjoy southern food. So I make grits quite often at home. I love okra. I actually enjoy collard greens, which I know a lot of people don't think are any good. And of course, biscuits and gravy. And oh my gosh, I could just go on all those classics from southern cooking. And of course, there's the history. I love learning about history. And I will be definitely be going through historic places. I'm kind of sad I won't be riding through Gettysburg or Hershey, Pennsylvania, but I will be riding through other areas that have had historical goings on that I will be looking forward to learning about. Plus, of course, just all the beautiful places that I'm sure I will be seeing all over. I always end up finding places that are just so pretty, and I'm sure that this section will be no different. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, and quite frequently on my website and Facebook, if you live in any of the areas that I will be riding through, or if you know anybody in those areas, please make sure that you spread the word about my ride because I am always looking for people to network with and connect to and just new friends to meet everywhere that I ride. So drop me an email or message on Facebook and let me know where you are and I would love to talk with you. Also, if you are familiar with any of these areas either because you live there or because you've traveled there and there is anything particularly fun, interesting, or delicious that I need to know about that I should be sure not to miss when I'm in one of these states. Tell me about it. I would love your travel tips. Now I would like to welcome Lisa of Willow Domestic Violence Center in Rochester, New York, in Monroe County. They actually serve all of Monroe County, uh, but they're based in Rochester. So I visited their center when I rode through Rochester and was given a tour and met all sorts of people who work there, volunteer there, and it is just an amazing place. So I'm so excited to welcome Lisa to tell you all about it and also 
to share with you some really great advice about domestic violence. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Can you start off by giving a quick introduction about yourself and what you do at Willow? Absolutely. So my role here at Willow is I'm the Director of Prevention, Education, and Training. So my role is to be out in the community talking to people about dating and domestic violence every day. And our scope is pretty big on that. We are with professionals all the time, medical professionals, with um, service providers of all different kinds. But we're also with young people, too. We're in schools, K-12 here in Monroe County, in Rochester, in New York, we have a lot of universities, and so we spend a lot of time on college campuses as well, talking about dating violence and, you know, stalking and harassment and all those things that go with it, too. Our scope is large here in Monroe County, and we're trying to educate people about what dating and domestic violence is, how we can prevent it, how we can respond to it, and how can we support survivors. Can you share with us some of the specific things that Willow does in the Rochester area? Absolutely. So my role is prevention education, so we're doing that training and education in the community. What we also have to offer is that we have a shelter. It's a 49-bed facility in a confidential location. It's amazing and beautiful and clean and trauma-informed. We also have a 24-hour hotline and 24-hour text line that are available I will give you those numbers. You can call. We're not going to screen you out from wherever you're from. It's 585-222-7233. That's our our hotline and our text line is 585-348-7233. I will put those and also any of the websites that we are talking about in this conversation in the podcast description and on my website. So if you didn't get a chance to write that number down, you can look it up there. We also have a counseling center, a counseling program. So we see individual clients, we do groups, and we offer all kinds of different groups. We do art therapy and yoga. We also have a pet shelter program, which is really important for people like Meredith, right? Meredith is traveling the Mm -hmm. country with her horse, Apollo. If you are living in a situation where you have a horse, you have a pet that you love, Apollo is your baby, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to leave him behind and think that he's in danger. And we don't believe that about the pets that are in our community either. So we have the capacity to take dogs and cats and other small animals. And whatever we can't take, either because we're full or because we unfortunately can't take horses. Sorry, Apollo. We have a partnership with our local pet shelters. And they have agreed to home pets for us and keep them safe and get them care and vaccinated until we can reunite them with survivors as well. So that pet piece is really, really important. Because we know that 60% of people who are in dangerous situations will not leave if they have to leave a pet behind. That was actually one of the things that kept me from leaving so long is I didn't want to leave my animals. And uh, I eventually did leave all of my animals, but it was heartbreaking to do so. And there are not very many shelters that have any sort of option for pets, large or small. So it was really nice to see that in your facility. Yeah, we're one of only 8% of shelters that offers pet services, so that's huge. And, yeah, our pets are our babies. If you have any pets out there, whatever they are, you know that you love them just as much as your human children if you have human children, and that thinking about them being in danger is just as terrifying and traumatic as a human being. So that's really, really real, and we wanted to try to break down that barrier for people who needed to get out safely. 
So real quickly, too, we also have a couple other programs I wanted to highlight. We have a court advocacy program as well. So we have a location right at our Hall of Justice. So if survivors are coming to pursue a civil order of protection, we're able to be with them and advocate for them and with them through that process, no matter how long it takes. So that's really important because that process is so overwhelming and can be traumatizing just in itself, just the process. So it's really important to have somebody help you navigate that process. And we were actually the first agency in the entire country to be able to facilitate that order of protection process through Skype to a judge. We found in our community that we had some survivors who were either in extremely dangerous situations, were unable to get to the Hall of Justice, or who had been admitted to the hospital for injuries related to domestic violence. And to take down that barrier of, okay, well, now I'm in the hospital. When I leave here... I have to go now to the Hall of Justice and do this process. It was just unrealistic. So we were able to bring that process bedside in the hospital to survivors who needed it to be able to Skype the judge, do the order of protection, walk out the door, and hand it to the abuser waiting in the lobby for that person. So we have been doing that for about two years now, and that service has only increased in numbers. And I know some other agencies have been able to use us as a model and jump on that bandwagon too, and that is an amazing service to be able to bring survivors, who it's just literally not safe for them to come to court. Our last program that I wanted to highlight was we received a grant this year to work on human trafficking as well. Being close to Canada, being about six hours from New York City, we actually see a significant amount of human trafficking here through Monroe County, both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. So we have somebody who is full-time dedicated to human trafficking in our area, and she's able to be at court. She's able to keep a client caseload. So that's been a really amazing area to expand our work into a little bit because once somebody is being trafficked, there are some different opportunities out there assistance and support that are not available to domestic violence survivors. But once they get classified as trafficked, some other doors open. So that's been a really wonderful initiative and just really eye-opening and educational for us, too, as we are walking into the trafficking world. That is so needed. It's wonderful to hear about uh, domestic violence organizations such as Willow that's actually getting out in the community so much. Uh, It seems like a lot of such organizations that I've talked to are so overwhelmed with just dealing with the crises as they come in of intakes with survivors and that kind of thing that it's so hard to actually get out in the community and get this information out there. So when you go out into the community to schools and whatnot, what's your main message that you like to share? When we're out in schools, well, really the the main points of the message that we are trying to get across to young people is the idea of a healthy relationship and what a healthy relationship looks like. When you say something like dating violence, everybody gets some kind of thought in their head on what that looks like. Usually it's the physical violence, it's the pushing, the shoving, the hitting, the kicking, the punching. But what we don't often talk about is what actually healthy relationship is. And if you have never Mm -hmm. seen one in your life, in your family, in your friends, in your community, and you've never experienced one, it's hard to understand what that actually looks like because we don't see them very often anywhere else. So, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a a show or really a lot of movies that are out right now that have examples of really good, healthy relationships because that's boring and it doesn't sell. So (laughs) we talk a lot about 
this is what healthy looks like, this is what you're worthy of, and that you're enough just the way you are. And so when you walk into a relationship, you get to set those boundaries and you get to have your needs met, and this is how we do it. And then what happens after that determines whether it's healthy, unhealthy, or a dangerous relationship. So we're really trying to set that stage and communicate this is what healthy looks like and you are worthy of it. And then if it's unhealthy or if it becomes dangerous, here's what you can do and here's how you can support a friend. So it's really focusing on that positive piece and taking that scary element out of it a little bit because kids don't react well to being scared. They don't look at the pictures of, you know, the person in the corner crying with a black eye and go, oh, yeah, that'll happen to me. But if we can say this is how it starts in this beautiful, healthy moment, and then it becomes unhealthy, and here's what it looks like when it becomes unhealthy, and then here's what happens when it becomes dangerous, they can relate to that and see a progression. To know Mm -hmm. that that boundary, I recognize I'm in unhealthy now. I'm out of here. That's wonderful. Back in the third episode of this podcast, I spoke with a guest who runs a teen dating violence organization in Indiana, and she was sharing about what her organization does to go out in the community and teach teens about, like, red flags, what to watch out for. And she talked a lot about the difficulties of teaching teens about things because they have a superhero complex, I think Mm -hmm. is how she described it. Do you have any tips on anyone listening who has teens in their family and would like to make sure they know about this important stuff? What's a good way to talk to them about this, that they don't just shut down and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, I know. That's not going to happen to me. So my tips for parents or people who are working with young people with teens is, first of all, start early. It is literally never too early to start talking about relationships and healthy relationships and setting boundaries in relationships. We have a great organization that we partner with here. Their focus is on child abuse and specifically child sexual abuse and talking about even little kids. Use the right words for body parts. You know, be proud of your bodies and talk about, you know, even bodily functions in an age-appropriate way so that kids don't feel shamed and like it's secretive because that's how it all starts. As adults, I would say pay attention to we do a really good job of disregarding our teens and their relationships. When I'm out in the community, I ask a question very often to adults about, do they know teens in relationships? All the hands go up. Are those relationships serious? And they laugh and roll their eyes. Anybody have teens who are telling you that they're in love with their person? And they all laugh and hoot and holler and have funny things to say about that. And that's what I'm asking people to stop doing. Because when Mm -hmm. we start minimizing that and say, oh, you don't even know what love is, you know, you'll find out later, they will. But what they're experiencing right now is just as real as what they'll experience later. As adults, Mm -hmm. we have the benefit of that hindsight to say, well, this was an unhealthy relationship. But when we were in it, it felt really good. And we did love that person when we were in 16. And our love at 16 is different than 36. That's true. But it didn't make that love at 16 any less real. So as adults, when we're working with young people, listen. Stop talking, actually. Stop trying to have the conversation. Ask some good questions. Hey, how's that relationship going? And maybe it's not even about your team. Maybe their friends are dating and you're trying to get some insight on what's going on, you know, for everybody dating. Hey, why don't you tell me about Sarah and John's relationship? How's that going? 
How do you feel about that? You know what I noticed about that? I thought this was kind of strange. What do you think about it? You take it out of them and out of their own personal situation when you can, too, because it feels like an attack to teens, like you're questioning my relationship and you're judging it. So take it out to another relationship if you have the ability to do so. But listen to what they're saying and believe them. You'll be surprised how much kids want to talk about this stuff if you just leave the door open and let them talk about it. Great advice. For anyone listening that has a friend or a neighbor or a relative that they think might be in an unhealthy relationship, whether it's been disclosed or not, that maybe you don't have a good feeling about uh, or that you're worried about, do you have any advice on how to help them? Yes. If you have somebody that you're worried about or who has disclosed to you, support them. Keep checking in with them. If it's every day, great. If it's once a week, great. Figure out a plan that works for you. But keep checking in. Keep letting them know that you're there to support them and that you're a safe and reliable person. What we often do in these situations is we give people advice. Oh, you should just do this. Or I wouldn't do that. I would put up with this. And we judge. And that is not helpful. When we are judging the relationships that survivors are in and we're giving them that advice, it's not applicable. The judgment makes us feel worse about ourselves. The advice we can't take anyway because you cannot ever imagine the danger level that I have or what I'm experiencing when that door is closed. So even though that's really, really hard to do for us because it feels like I want to help and that's how I can help tell you what to do, it's not that simple. Just say, how can I support you? What do you need? You tell me. Now, what's really hard about that is that we often get back, I'm not even sure. I don't even know what to do right now. Or why don't you just tell me what to do? You know what? I can't tell you what to do because I'm not in your shoes. What I can tell you is that you don't deserve to be treated this way. This isn't your fault. And I'm here for you if you ever need it. And sometimes for a survivor, that's what matters the most. Knowing that you're there and safe or knowing that you've checked in and knowing that you said you're not worthy of this kind of treatment. You're better than this. This isn't okay. That's enough that somebody sometimes needs to have the courage to make a call to us or make a call to the national hotline or to call the police to file for an order of protection or to be able to create a safety plan or an exit plan and walk out the door on any given day. So it feels like we're not doing anything when we just say, how can I support you? But truthfully, those words can be what saves somebody's life. Well, that is all wonderful information. Now, if there is anyone listening that doesn't have knowledge of a friend or a neighbor or relative or whatever who might be in an unhealthy relationship and doesn't know any teens that might need guidance or advice or someone to talk with, but still wants to do something for their community to help out with the domestic violence problem, do you have any suggestions for what they can do to help others? Absolutely. If you're looking to help in your community, wherever you are, there's lots of things that you can do. I think you can just raise awareness. Simply just, if you are on social media, find some interesting articles about domestic and dating violence. Find some stories in the news about domestic and dating violence. It is not hard to find those stories around. I will tell you, a great place to find stories about dating and domestic violence is actually people.com. They have a crime section. I'll tell you what, I was on there a couple weeks ago. 
don't ask me why it's random. Um, <laughs> I was cycling through their crime section. It was like 12 stories on there, and nine of the 12 stories was a homicide that was domestic or dating violence. And I thought, what in the world? How could this be their whole site? So reading and really critically thinking about what you see in your community, too, about, you know, somebody's accused of something. Okay, great. Well, let me think about that a little bit more. Let me ask myself some more questions and do some more research. So raising awareness for your community by posting that kind of stuff and for yourself too. There are mm-hmm. domestic violence shelters everywhere. Figure out where it is for your community. So if somebody does disclose to you because you know somebody, the statistics tell us, even if you don't know, you know somebody, so that when they say something to you, you have a resource in your back pocket ready to go. You know what? I know where our shelter is or I know the hotline number. And if you don't have a shelter or hotline near you, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is a great and wonderful resource. Their website is thehotline.org. They have a 1-800 number, and they also have an online text chat option as well. It is an amazing resource, and you can access that from anywhere in the U.S. So knowing what some of those resources are, if you want to go the extra mile, raise some money. Donate some items. Check with the shelters on what they need, what are the most needed things. For us, you know, typically we need things like feminine care products. We always need things like shampoo and diapers and formula and baby wipes. Those are always things that we're in need of. Get creative about how you get donated items, too. One of the things in our community that we have a couple groups who do regularly is they have a baby shower for us. So they have a party, they ask their friends to come and bring diapers and wipes and formula, and they have a party, and then they get to donate all the stuff to us when we need it. So it's a great way to have some fun, raise some awareness, get us what we need to. So being creative about how you support your local place. That's really cool. Now I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to have my own baby shower, so. Right, and there's plenty of people who won't. Yeah, or plenty of people who won't have, you know, don't want to get married, and that's cool, and they're going to just throw a wedding shower anyway and ask for basic needs. We help survivors rehome as well. So as we are being able to find them safe places to live, if they're choosing to escape in a relationship, that we're supplying them with things like a set of silverware and some dishes and maybe an iron if they need it. Those basic things that we might not think about because they're just at our fingertips every day, that when you have started from scratch and you came to us with a trash bag full of clothes and a pair of flip-flops that you need. I'm very impressed with, Willow, how diverse your services are. It's really a great example of a domestic violence organization that really, I hope people all over the country hear about you guys and that you can be a model for what others can do. I'm just so glad that I met you. (laughs) I'm so glad, too. You know, I mean, we're learning and growing and changing every day as an agency here, but we are striving for survivor-centered and trauma-informed and just excellence every day. And I am so fortunate that you rode through our area and we got to meet each other because I think that what you're doing is amazing. Like, What an amazing feat of strength to do. And just sort of an amazing experience to be able to talk to people all from every corner about this same issue that is affecting people in the exact same way, no matter where you are or where you're from. Absolutely. And everyone in the whole country and world, really, could use all of the services that you guys offer and the messages you're spreading through your community, through the awareness campaign. So thank you so much for sharing it on 
my podcast so that even more people can hear about this. I hope that it has helped somebody today. I hope so, too. And if you're listening and you need help, remember that you're not alone. There's lots of people out here to support you and lift you when you need it. You don't deserve to be treated the way that you're being treated. And we're here for you. We believe you. Thank you all for joining me again for another episode of Have Horse, Will Travel, the final episode of Season 1. Next season will be all about Apollo, and that is going to be so much fun. I hope you come back and keep listening. I'll be taking next week off and resuming the following week for weekly episodes for the entirety of Season 2. Until then, and anytime, you can follow our adventures on my website at www.centaurride.org, C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-D-E.org, and of course on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So thanks for listening, and until next season, bye-bye!